Well, hello and welcome to the Soft UK podcast. I'm Kate Hart, the Engagement Officer for the charity Soft, which is a support organisation for families affected by trisomy 13 and 18. Today's podcast is a conversation about a sibling's perspective, and we're joined by Jess Scott, who's Sarah's sister. Welcome, Jess. Hello, thank you for having me. You're so welcome. So in April, we celebrated National Siblings Day. And for those who follow our podcast would have heard my conversation with your brother, Richard. Um, So yeah, we're really thrilled to have you on today and to hear your side and your experience of what it was like having uh, a sibling affected by trisomy. So thanks again. So should we start by setting the scene? Could you maybe just tell us a bit about your family and and where you live, um, just so we can get an idea of who, who you are? Yes, of course. So um, I live in Northamptonshire and uh, I live with my husband. We've just celebrated our sixth wedding anniversary, which is quite scary, I'm going to be honest. Congratulations. Uh, Thank you very much. Uh, We've got two children. So uh, we've got a little boy who's nearly three and then we've got a little girl uh, who is only 13 weeks old. So I'm a little bit sleep deprived, but we'll be all right. Um, And we also have a dog as well. I've got to mention the dog, Elsa Rocker Spaniel. Um, And my brother, who was on the podcast before, Richard, uh, he lives with his family relatively locally, um, as does my mum and stepdad as well. So we're all quite near each other, which is nice. Lovely. Certainly helps with the childcare, doesn't it? Yes, definitely. (laughs) Thanks, Mum. Lovely. Yeah. Um, So could you tell us a bit about your journey with Sarah and, and what you remember from that time, Jess? Yeah, so my experience is quite different to my um, brother's, uh, which is hopefully going to be quite interesting to listen to for people. So my brother is the oldest of the three of us and I'm the youngest. So um, my sister Sarah died in September 1989 um, and I wasn't born until April 91. Um, So my experience is of kind of the aftermath and what it's like to grow up having lost a sibling that you never knew, as opposed to my brother's where he was very young and he lost a sibling. So our experience is very different, um, Mm. but hopefully interesting for people to listen to. So um, I thought I'd talk about sort of the earlier years. So when I was born, I've obviously always been aware that I should have had an older sister. And my mum always talked to us about Patel syndrome and what that meant and, you know, sort of how long she'd lived for and what, you know, her and dad had gone through. Um, but actually it has sort of built a lot of feelings in sort of me myself. And certainly when I was younger, um, to be born into a family that had just gone through quite a major trauma meant that I feel I've never had a sort of normal, whatever normal is, family sort of experience because they've been through that. And um, that wasn't just my immediate family that actually sort of went out to my grandparents, my aunties and, and things like that as well. And I always felt that I was treated like I was very special and I was very precious, which is lovely. But actually that brought a bit of sort of like a, ooh, um, why am I being treated like I'm very precious and should you know should I be doing that and it made me probably a little bit risk averse and a bit of a worrier just because of the sort of response from from everybody else um, and then as well sort of after that time when I sort of got more of an understanding of you know my friends that had older sisters and things like that I started to get feelings of you know anger that my sister wasn't here disappointment that I'd never met her um, and I've also on and off felt a level of guilt that you know my sister didn't even see her first birthday and yet I've got to experience everything you know falling in love going to Mm. university um all of those sorts of things and that has made 
uh, I'll come on to it a bit later, but that has made life sometimes quite difficult, but it's also driven me as well. Um, and then there's also a layer of guilt of, oh, maybe I shouldn't be feeling like this because actually I wasn't here. I didn't go through the trauma because I wasn't actually here like my mum and brother was. So I don't know if I've ever really spoken to them about some of the things I'm probably going to say on here because I have felt that actually, you know, they went through the, the worst of it and I sort of got the the aftermath, essentially. Oh, so interesting. And I've been very honest there, but I think listening to that will help a lot of people and um, that that experience of the sibling who comes after. So really, really fascinating. Thank you. So uh, talking about the subsequent years, having a sibling with trisomy 13 can impact one's life in many, many ways. So um, how would you say that having Sarah as your sister shaped your life then? So I think linking back to that sort of part around um, feeling quite guilty that sometimes that I'm here and she's not here. So I do remember sort of on my wedding day in the morning feeling like, you know, I was obviously really excited. And it sort of comes in waves sometimes. Um, and I just grabbed to my family as impending doom. I sort of got this wave of like, oh, I feel really guilty that, you know, she's not here and she should be my maid of honour and, you know, she should be involved in in the day. But then the sort of flip side of that, if I'm honest with you, is I do think by having a loss quite early on in your life or a sort of part of your your story, it does actually drive you. And I think that um, I know my brother Richard and his podcast talked about how we lost my dad a couple of years later as well. So we sort of had a, a double whammy. Um, and as traumatic and awful and tragic as those experiences are, I do think they've made both me and my brother very determined, very hardworking, we want to experience life we want to get out there we don't let things sort of grind us down as difficult as as times have been we have both pushed ourselves so an example for me is um completing my phd which i will talk about probably a little bit more later on um but it does make you think you know life is short and people say that but i think unless you've really experienced that certainly people when i was sort of at university when you're sort of 18 19 they think oh you know i'm gonna live till i'm 100 well you might not so you've really got to do the things that you want to um and even if you know you have to push for a bit of fear to do that it's it's worth doing um so that's kind of the first thing and then the other thing I think it's just shaped me in a way that I'm more aware of you know people that have disabilities themselves or people that have had um a level of trauma and I think it's made me a more sympathetic and empathetic person than I perhaps would have been if I'd not had those experiences um, so I think it's meant that certainly in my jobs, I work for a charity now, it makes it much easier to actually connect with people because you're able to draw on your own experiences um, to really support people with what they're going through. And although everybody's story is different, you may think, well, they've been through more trauma than me. Everyone's trauma is their own and, and you can draw on that experience to, to sort of really connect with other people. Oh, interesting. Thank you. Um, and how would you say it's affected the relationship with your own children, Jess? Um, so to start off with, I'd say by having an older sister that had um, trisomy 13, that it actually kind of started in the pregnancy stage. So obviously I was very excited with my first child um, to have fallen pregnant. But actually, I didn't find the whole experience of being pregnant particularly uh 
a particularly happy time because I was so worried that something was going to happen to him, basically. Mm-hmm. And at all of the scans and all of the tests, I was a bit of a nervous wreck as my husband, poor thing, had to sort of support me through. Um, and I do think that if, again, if I'd not had that experience of knowing, you know, my mum did lose a child, I don't know if I would have felt like that. I think I would have just gone into the scans and been like, oh, how lovely, I can see my baby. Um, but there was always that layer of I'm I'm quite concerned. I think it was a bit easier the second time round, but certainly that first time I was um, I was sort of on high alert. And then I think by having that, and again, my um, dad passed away because he had stomach cancer. Um, as a family, I think we have quite heightened health anxiety. So even once both of my babies were here, um, I had this sort of heightened sense of, oh, God, like something terrible is going to happen to them. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's made me sort of, you know, I'm, I'm a bit of a worrier anyway. But I think by having um, my first son in lockdown, that made it even worse because I was like, if he catches COVID, what does that mean? And so that experience for me, having a newborn baby in lockdown with all of that health anxiety and whatever swimming around, it did make it sort of quite a difficult um, sort of time. That being said, sort of James is getting a bit older now, my oldest, he's nearly three. And we do talk about, you know, Auntie Sarah and Granddad David, because I think it's really important to have those discussions with children quite early. Um, and so that they understand that, you know, you can lose people and, you know, people do die. And what does that mean? And how can you sort of navigate your way through that? And also discussions around people with disabilities and who are different and, and things like that. Because I think by educating children as young as possible, um, you know, the only time that they're going to sort of um, respond badly is because of lack of knowledge, lack of understanding and perhaps mm. being scared. So I do try and talk to James about, you know, people that are uh, that are different or that have disabilities. And I draw my experiences from Sarah and dad, but also I've worked for charities such as the Alzheimer's Society as well. So, you know, people with dementia kind of fit into that as well. Um, and then on sort of a more positive um, note, I think, again, it's that life's short. You've got to live while you can. You've got to, you know, do the things that you really want to do whilst you can. So both uh, me and my husband sort of agree that we want to try and give both children as many experiences and opportunities as possible um, and sort of focusing on, you know, family time and their sort of happiness and well-being rather than we're, go- we're splashing out and going on a, you know, a 10 grand holiday. That's not important to us. What's important mm. is that we spend that time sort of together and that we potentially take those hits. So I only work part time so that I can spend Thursdays and Fridays um, with James, when I'm not on mat leave, obviously, if I'm on mat leave at the moment, it's lovely. Um, but yeah, I think it's helped. Me, it's helped me sort of adjust what I want to sort of achieve with my children and what I want to be like as a parent. Which again, if I'd not had those experiences, I'd probably be, you know, really focused on my career off I go. And actually, it sort of draws us back to no, what's important and and how are we going to kind of meet that? It's such a lovely message, and so. Well put. Um, it sounds like you also grew up in the type of family where your mum was talking to you constantly about your sister and obviously later on about your dad. So, yeah, it's, it sounds like it's something that's been passed on that you're having these conversations, these quite honest and grown up conversations with your children, but so important. And they will most likely in turn grow up as empathetic adults and, you know, have, have a different view of the world. So 
well then you it sounds like you're doing a fantastic job <laughs> and it's setting them up to have those skills isn't it because if they're if they're in a situation where then you know they go off to university and they meet someone who's lost a parent I don't want them to be the child that's like Ooh, and like turns away I want them to be yeah. the child that says oh I'm sorry to hear that like what happened and I, mm. I'd much rather that so it's setting them up with the skills that's actually hopefully gonna help them in life exactly and um Jess you've touched on your career could you tell us how your sister's impacted your career and what you do yeah so um I think both with um Sarah and dad it gave me a sort of really keen interest quite early on in human biology. Um, so I actually went to the University of Leeds and did a medical science degree, which was pretty tough stuff. Um, and actually after that, I decided that I wanted to do a PhD. I wasn't 100% sure if I wanted to be a research scientist, but again, it was that kind of a PhD is the top of the academic scale that you can get to. And I thought, I want to get there and I'm going to push myself to do it. Um, and that was tough. I did that at the University of Leicester and I did it in um, molecular cell biology. So the title of my thesis was looking at kinases during mitosis. Um, and I did actually reference Patel syndrome in my um, introduction and I dedicated my PhD thesis um, to both Sarah and dad at the end, because I thought actually that they're the reason that I've got to this point of wanting to do this research and keep me motivated when I've been on the microscope for 10 hours mm -hmm. and none of my experiments were working. I was like, no, come on, you've got to keep going and finish it. Um, however, I did decide when I was doing my PhD that I'm a little bit too sociable to be a scientist full time for the rest of my life. And as I was working there, we became a CRUK centre and I was doing lab tours to volunteers. And that's when I thought, oh, actually, sidestepping across to charities would probably be quite a good kind of fit for me um, because I feel like I, I need a job. I need a job that's got some sort of cause. I'm not driven by, you know, sort of money and materials or that sort of thing. I need to have a job where I feel like I'm helping others. There's a good cause and sort of that raising awareness piece was um, what I thought I'd be quite passionate about. So I moved actually to the Alzheimer's Society initially, uh, and I worked my way up through the Alzheimer's Society uh, until after I had my son. And then um, 18 months ago, I moved to Bowel Cancer UK. Uh, and I think there's just something about the charity sector. You're never gonna become a millionaire, but you need that, I need that sort of drive of helping people and that cause that's sort of underlying your day-to-day -day work to really feel motivated to do it, essentially. Um, so, yeah, that's pretty much it on that one. It's amazing. So, uh, you know, what's important to you is work that matters as opposed to, you know, what you can take from it um, financially or otherwise. So, yeah, I can definitely... Um, relate to that um obviously working for a charity and what a lovely thing to do in their memory and to be motivated by your personal experiences so yeah well done it's really really interesting well yeah Jess we hope that this discussion has shed light on what it's like having a sibling with Patel syndrome um and before we end off is there anything that you'd like to share with our listeners um any message that you'd like to leave with us um, there's a couple of things, actually. So the first thing was what I would really like to happen is for people to grow up talking about loss and it not being so difficult. So one of the things I certainly found talking about probably Sarah in particular was 
you know, going to school and people say, oh, you know, what does your dad do? Oh, well, my dad's, my dad passed away. Seeing people's reaction to that, you know, nine times out of 10, I then didn't go on to say, oh, actually, I don't have, a, I don't have my sister either. And like when I was at university, uh, which is where I met my husband, I actually didn't tell my flatmates about Sarah till a couple of weeks later, because I thought people can't cope with the double, the double whammy mm-hmm. and people's reaction. And I'm, I'm talking about, you know, other children and teenagers, but I'm also talking about the other adults. So um, I know sort of some of our uh, close friends, their parents sort of, you know, would question some of mine and my brother's behaviour at times. So it's like, well, we've lost a parent and a sibling. Maybe you should be asking if we're OK. Um, or when you tell, you know, a teacher at school, you know, in French says, you know, this is how you say my dad works as a, and I'd be like, well, my dad died, seeing their reaction. I would love to get to a place where actually society is much more comfortable talking about loss and death and knowing how to sort of support people. Because some of the best conversations I've had with people is when they've said, oh, I'm sorry to hear that, you know, what happened and what was your dad like and what what is Patel syndrome? And it's the ones that sort of recoil. They make you feel worse and they make you feel like the odd one. But actually, you're not going to go through life, life and not lose someone. It might just be that it happens much later in life. And for us, it unfortunately happened very early. Um, so that's my first thing. I think being able to have those difficult conversations is really important and will give people support. So that was the first thing. Uh, the next thing is I wanted to just kind of support what my brother said. So uh, my brother Richard said, I think, at the end of his uh, podcast that getting help is really important and that looking after your own mental health. Um, and actually, I think we are really good at supporting the sort of direct people these days. Um, but actually it can have ripple effects and it could be, you know, a best friend of someone that's passed away that needs support or a child that was like myself, a child that wasn't even around may need the additional support. So I think being able to ask for help and at any age and whatever your trauma is, which is personal to you, being able to feel like you can say, you know, actually, no, I need the help um, is really important. And I hope that if anybody listening to this podcast feels like they're struggling, even if you feel like it's not, you know, it shouldn't be your trauma, you know, seek the help, because I think that's really important. And then the last thing is I was just going to do a plug for you guys. So um, over the years, uh, me and my family, we've tried to do our bit for Soft UK. Obviously, it's been difficult because I've been working at other charities and, um, you know, dad passed away from cancer. So we've been doing stuff for like CR UK and stuff as well. But in terms of Soft UK, we've tried to do sort of our bit where we can. So, for example, at mine and my husband's wedding, our wedding favours was a donation to you guys. And we had uh, the pin badges in the little wedding favour boxes to sort of, again, just raise that brand awareness, get people talking. Um, and just to say that if you feel like, you know, I think people often think, oh, charities, they just want money. They just want to fundraise. I think it's about thinking of other ways that you can potentially support um, the charity and build that brand awareness, because I still even think one of my friends, for example, she she's um, had children at a similar time to me. And she said, oh, I've had these tests and I don't know what they're for. And I said, oh, actually, that was the test that, you know, my sister had that, but they didn't test mm-hmm. back then. So just raising that sort of brand awareness of of the charity um, and doing things like sharing, I don't know if you have any literature or posters locally, sharing social media posts, that kind of thing. I think anything small that we can be doing just to talk about this more and raising awareness um, will be really beneficial sort of in the future. You've said it so well. Thank you so much. Um, Just to, to touch on your second last point there, 
um, we do have a number of Facebook support groups that aim to catch those people exactly that you've mentioned. So for grandparents, for siblings, for friends and colleagues, um, and that one specifically is in case you don't know what to say and to try and you know navigate the conversations with somebody who's going through a, a pregnancy or a loss, no matter what, no matter what stage somebody's at. We try and meet people, you know, in their journey. And we've had some great feedback that we almost have a, a group for every stage of the journey. And as as things develop, um, there's another group to join. So, yeah, if if anyone listening would like to find out more about that, please get in touch or have a look on, on Facebook and search for our various groups. I think we're up to eight different Facebook support groups now. So um, we really are trying to cover every base. So, yeah, and that's fantastic. Really yeah. fantastic. Yeah, that's really good because certainly when my mum had uh, Sarah, obviously she didn't have the tests before. She personally knew something was wrong and she had really bad preeclampsia, but the the uh, medical staff kept saying to her, oh, you've just got preeclampsia, everything will be fine. Um, and then afterwards, she didn't really know where to turn or sort of who to speak to. So the fact you guys have, are putting those groups in place, um, I think, I, I know certainly from her point of view, um, it's fantastic. So yeah, definitely join those and get the support that you need. Fantastic. Thank you. Well, thank you for your time, Jason. Thanks to everyone um, for listening in. We really hope you've enjoyed this podcast. And just to say whether you're an expectant parent, a bereaved parent, a family member, or a professional seeking support or information, we are here for you. Um, so please reach out to SOFT and our contact details can be found in the podcast blurb. Thanks again, Jess. No worries. Thank you very much for having me.